Shelly Martin Podcast. Thank you for joining us on the Jelly Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Rod Jans, and this episode is brought to you by Canada Post. On the Jelly Marketing Podcast, we ask global industry leaders from world-class brands to share their stories, best practices, innovations, and more to help you move your agency, business, or organization ahead. Our topic for today is the future of work. Our guest, Eric Tumundi, is an author, a speaker, and an HR consultant with Now Innovations and the author of the best-selling book, Rethink Work. Stay tuned to the end of the episode where we find out what Eric likes to spread on his toast. Episode number 32, here we go. Hi, Eric. Thanks for joining me on the Jelly Marketing Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Rod. I really appreciate it. In a moment, I'd like to talk to you about your specialty. Uh, but before we go there, I'd like to find out a little bit more about uh, your career path. And it sounds like you're doing a lot of speaking and that sort of thing. But how did you become interested in marketing and business? Yeah, you know what? I think when it comes down to, to, to marketing and business, marketing is is the essence of everything that is business in terms of communication, right? And I think that the way we're telling stories now and the importance of articulating values, experiences, feelings, uh, ultimately how we do that thing we do more than anything else in the day, which is obviously working even more than sleeping, uh, how, we, how we communicate that, uh, how we effectively get that messaging across is absolutely important. Uh, and I think that, you know, marketing is the segue into uh, HR. It is the segue into sales and purchasing. Uh, it is the lead into everything that is business. And I think if we do a great job marketing our product or our service or ourselves, uh, that great things can follow us and we, we can deliver. So define for me what you do. I know you've written a book and you're traveling yep. all around the country like crazy. You described your schedule to me and just hearing it made me <laughs> tired. <laughs> you've been all over the, the country in the last several weeks. Just specifically, what, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, uh, so, so author, uh, sure. Um, uh, professional speaker, I suppose, sure. Uh, an HR consultant, a future of work or a now of work consultant. Um, but essentially, I am someone who's really trying to remove the negative connotation associated with work and ultimately allow people and organizations to create great places to work and attract and retain the right people so that we can have a positive work experience. And so I've chosen three different mediums or different ways to get my work and my voice and myself across to various clients, various different um, audiences. Uh, and so from, from the book, that was one thing um, through the National Speakers Bureau and the speaking circuit, uh, you know, I probably will have uh, upwards of 40 events this year, I would say, uh, in Canada, the U.S., looking at Europe right now as well for something uh, in, in the fall. Uh, and then through the consulting side of things, through Now Innovations. And uh, the work that we're doing there is on the cultural side so that we can really help organizations create and maintain great places to work for their employees and prospective employees. Great. So before your speaking really took off in the book and that sort of thing, were you primarily involved in HR or what? how did you get into that? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, when it, when it came to my personal experience, full transparency, I was by no means uh, excelling academically in, in post-secondary. I was a university, a proud University of, of Calgary graduate from the Haskane School of Business. And uh, the experience that I had in post-secondary was, was nothing but positive, uh, albeit my, my grades were not where they needed to be. And so 
you know, as, as vice president of the University of Calgary Students Union uh, and a class ambassador and uh, part of various clubs and things, I ended up managing or being responsible for an $18 million budget for 25,000 students and had the extracurriculars and the, ex the, the, the experience, you know, given my age and, and, and student status, to do what I thought at least was an entry-level corporate uh, position, right? Or at least to have the skills to be able to learn what that organization was going to teach me. <clears throat> my, my grades ended up being a prohibitor uh, into getting any of those opportunities or any of those offers or interviews. And, and as a result, the, the original thought with my co-founder at the time, Emerson Chorba, was, you know, how do organizations better understand this next generation of work? How do we close that talent, skill, and communication gap in the workplace? Uh, and ultimately, again, then create great, greater places to work. And so, you know, it's been, a, it's been an evolution uh, for the past three years. There's been a ton of, of learning. And uh, really, you know, we've taken this. Uh, from an HR perspective, but everything that we're doing is really allowing organizations to be able to have the right material and market that effectively. So through their HR channels, uh, so that again, we can uh, focus on creating great places to work. You mentioned uh, talking about the future of work. I'm really fascinated with what mm -hmm. you might have to say about that. Can you, when you look into your crystal ball, what, what are you telling people? Yeah, I think that there's a there's a lot of fear. Uh, there's a lot of optimism, and, and there's a lot of uh, uh, fog. I would say too. Um, there's fear in that you know um, automation, artificial intelligence, machine learning um, is going are going to ultimately take over our jobs, and and depending on the sector and, and the space. It's, it's true. It's, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Uh, there's a lot of optimism in that there, uh, because of this, that will free up a lot of time, space, resources. A lot of the things that we don't want to do will be automated first. Uh, and then there's a lot of fog and murkiness because we don't know when. Uh, we don't know how long this is going to take. And we don't know what it's going to look like when it's done. Um, there, you know, Ontario right now is piloting what, what we call a basic income which means uh, 4,000 citizens living in Hamilton, Lindsay, and Thunder Bay right now are getting what's a living wage uh, or a basic income uh, of $17,000 per person or $26,000 per couple. Um, and, you know, there are little little nuances here and there, but uh, anything that's uh, that an individual would make on top of that, on top of the basic income they just get for living, uh, would be taxed at 50%. Now, mm -hmm. Scandinavian countries have tried this and it's working well. Uh, Elon Musk, Zuckerberg, uh, Mark Cuban in the States are really pushing for the American government to look at something like this as well. Uh, and so all of these things are, are, are changing and it's, and it's going to be happening fast. We look at three and a half million truckers right now, truck drivers in the States, uh, and Tesla will be uh, unveiling their first driverless uh, semi-truck later this year. Uh, pair that with another 8.7 million support people, uh, f you know, when it comes to logistics administration, loading, uh, and, and everything else, you know, it's a big chunk of the American population. You look at retail stores like Sears and Kmart and Target and uh, all of this, all of these stores pay less shoes, American uh, Eagle, American Apparel. A lot of these stores are, are closing their, they're closing their doors uh, for good uh, as you get uh, companies like Amazon uh, that are coming in and really changing the landscape. So, you know, we talk about the future of work and it's changing so fast, but the, the one thing that I hammer in, in, in everything that, that we do, I think truly, the future of work 
is not one where we look at work-life balance. It's simply life and work is a part of it. And I think when we look at this even more, more specifically and, and more on a granular level, everything is going to come down to our ability to work with people and, and, and our social skills. Because when these jobs are automated and we're going to have more time on our hands, we're going to be able to be more creative and more innovative and really move the needle forward faster. What it's going to come down to is our ability to work with, live with, and be with other people. And so when we talk about optimizing a workplace culture, you know, we often hear you don't quit a job, you hit a manager. Uh, when we talk about uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm on stages, it's, it's really, how do we bring generations together? How do we bring skill sets together? How do we bring different interests and uh, expertise together to create this experience where people can be the best they can be because they're aligned in their values and enjoy that experience, whether it's in or outside of, of, of the office. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. You brought up a few interesting things there for sure. One thing I was thinking about a conversation I had last night with a couple of friends. One I have a fr- I mentioned this just in a in a podcast recording that I did earlier as well. He's looking for a car and he's finding it quite frustrating. But what came up in the course of our conversation is one of one of the people in that conversation had just come back from Arizona, and he said that they were selling cars in Walmart and you could they were using some sort of third party software or something like that. But you could figure out what kind of car you want. And I'm not exactly sure how the whole process went, but oh man, that's a game changer. If, if, yeah. you're, if you're able to, I mean, you're all ready to practically be able to buy a car. Well, you are, you're able to buy a car online. Mm-hmm. And I mean, talk about a change in the, in the car industry, like car salesmen and dealerships, they might say, well, that's not going to change what we're doing. And mm-hmm. maybe it won't, but it sure has to have an impact. And I can see that happening in a lot of different industries, real estate and, all kinds of things, you know? There's, there's- well, it's funny, it's funny you say that too, because, you know, here we are north of the border and you and I, uh, along with, I'm sure, literally millions of Canadians have never heard of this before. Uh, and when, when Walmart decides to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to pilot and then run this in Canada, it's not that it's going to be coming. It's already going to be here. I think that's one of the more interesting components about the future of work too, is that, you know, we talk a lot about the future of work, but in reality, the things that we talk about in many cases are already happening. And I think that's where some of that fear, but also some of that opportunity is, is being really considered. Yeah. Like Uber, to me, Uber seemed to kind of come out of nowhere, you know, and even some of the car sharing, you know, car sharing and all that kind of stuff. It's just, you're, you're so right. It's just, It's on us really fast. It's like it's here all of a sudden. I heard of another interesting little, uh, again, startup now worth, you know, the GDP of some countries. But uh, (laughs) I I believe it was called Rover, where, you know, for $5 a day or something, when, you know, you're leaving Langley uh, and on your way to the Jelly offices, you can actually rent your parking spot for the day. And it's just like Airbnb or something like that. So again, you know, there are countless examples of, you know, shifting the way we do things, a way to maximize income, a way to see revenue sources that we wouldn't even consider before. Again, take Airbnb, for example, I saw, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's, um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a website that allows you 
to rent your car for the day or for a week. So uh, let's just say, you know, someone's coming into to YVR, you can actually have your car sitting there waiting and they can come to the driveway, take it and then bring it back a week later and you can charge similar the way you would to, to Airbnb. And oh, hey, wow. while your car's gone, why don't you actually have someone rent your parking spot? You know, and so again, instead of sitting, having your, having your car sit there while you're gone for the month and just cost you a bunch of money, there could be uh, different revenue streams. Now, again, this is all the future of work. This is the future of life. This is truly just the future. And I think the more we can start considering how we fit into it, where our values and, and, and skills are, um, that uh, we can get the most out of it. And it's not that scary at all. You mentioned negative connotations to work. Tell me more about that. What are you What are you discussing with people when it oh. comes to the negative connotations to work? Yeah, well, I mean, work is something that, you know, you drag your heels into the office on Monday. You don't like your boss. You're in your pod. I mean, you, you wait for the coffee break. You watch the clock. Lunch can't come soon enough. You skip out of the office on Monday after work and you repeat that cycle until Friday. And then, of course, there's the big celebration on Friday. And then you repeat that cycle, living for the weekend and living for the holiday. Now, of course, I'm being overly dramatic, and that's certainly not a, a generalized comment by any means. But uh, work for you know as long as we know has had a negative connotation associated to it, right? It's something that we have to do, not something that we get to do. And I think that when we talk about this future of work and the marketing of it, uh, we have so much accessibility to information. And I'll get into that a little bit further. But you know, we've got so much accessibility to information that that 90% of the information on the internet today uh, was put there in the last two years. And uh, that came, that came from, from IBM at a conference I was speaking at in, in Beverly Hills. You know, so much so that there's a zettabyte of information that's being transferred today uh, across the web in one year, which is the equivalent of 250 billion DVDs. And we don't even talk in those terms anymore. <laughs> Wow. So uh, with this awareness of information, what we're able to do, regardless of age, regardless of generation, regardless of city, um, what we're able to do is understand the landscape of what jobs and opportunities are out, are out there. I mean, no longer is it the bulletin board at the end of the hallway in the community center or the job ads in the newspaper where we're going to find our jobs now, right? And I think that because of that limit of information and awareness, uh, we accepted the reality of what the work was going to be because we weren't aware of the choices and the opportunities. And then these workplaces weren't as competitive in creating great places to work so that they could attract and retain the best people. And so I think right now we're living in a day and age that is extremely positive in that we're fighting to create the best workplace for our employees so that we can have the best, most productive and efficient experience. And, you know, what's interesting about that, too, is that I think what we need to be doing is instead of marketing perks, the keg, the, the ping pong table, the open office concept, is start to market the experience. Because there are going to be many people who don't want or don't work well in an open office, office experience, but really do well in a small team, in a quiet environment that doesn't have a ping pong table in the background or a keg or whatever that might be, uh, and just work in a more traditional way. On the flip side, it might be totally the opposite. But I think if we can tell these stories in a better way, using people as case studies, that we can remove the negative connotation associated with work because we can create communities, a real sense of belonging, and ultimately an incredibly productive work environment. 
This episode of the Jelly Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Canada Post. How do we decide where to buy coffee in the morning? What we read on the way to work? How we stay in touch? What motivates everyday consumer behavior is something marketers are always eager to learn. But habits and preferences are changing faster than ever due to a rapidly evolving marketplace. That's why Canada Post is evolving too. Innovating to meet today's marketing challenges in ways that take advantage of their unique capability to meet customer needs. For example, recent neuroscience research has found that in our highly connected digital world, physical media have a greater ability to get noticed and make an impact. Studies have shown that as part of our coming home ritual, mail carries positive associations that make us more open to its messaging. That direct mail is 21% easier to understand than digital media, produces 70% higher brand recall, and creates 20% higher motivation response, indicating a stronger propensity to drive action. These findings confirm what many marketers have always known. Direct mail works. Get started now. Put the science of activation to work for your brand with Smart Mail Marketing. I might be putting you on the spot here, but do you have a story or do you have an example of a company that, that you've seen that, that does that well, that markets the experience? Yeah, um, uh, 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 you know, I can't really say startup. They've done forty million in in uh, seed funding, but a, a company here in Vancouver actually, I think, does a, a great job. Is Bench Bench Accounting? I use them as a case study very often. Uh, and again, they talk about who their people are, what they value, what their experience is like at work. You know, I think it's really important too in this day and age to talk about what the expectations are. Uh, in terms of communication, is it a nine to five shop? Chances are these days, probably not. You might be expected to do emails at night or do some weekend work and all of that. And, and the truth is, it's not a bad thing. Uh, I think we just have to be more transparent and upfront about what that experience is going to be. Um, so I think Bench does, does it very well. Um, I think a, a company that markets their perks very well is uh, like a company like Hootsuite, you know, with their Whistler-esque uh, work environment and their uh, their sunken rock pit that you can go sit on the beanbag chairs and get your work done, um, you know. But I think there's room for explaining and articulating that experience a little bit more too. And uh, all in all, you know, there's there's a lot of room and flexibility to be creative in this space too and tell stories effectively. I know a company that's telling these stories very effectively. Again, Vancouver-based True Calling Canada, uh, they're down in uh, in Gastown that really do take that corporate storytelling for clients and, and do a very good job of it. This is a really different example, but I work for a nonprofit and okay. you know, no, no perks. <laughs> right, 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 right. Except for maybe a little bit of. There, there, there is, that might not be like the physical perks, but you know, I've always seen nonprofits do an incredible job at attracting and retaining talent far better uh, than the for-profit side of things. And the reason for that is the, the purpose and the mission is so well articulated and there's no fluff, right? Yeah. There's no trickery around what the experience is going to be. Either. We understand that the pay might be a little different. We understand what the work environment is going to be. We understand we're either working on grant, grant funding or on a tight budget. And, um, you know, just that transparency up front uh, yeah. allows people to, I think, be attracted to, 
uh, to, to the nonprofit organization. And our former CEO did a really good job of building sort of a family environment. He recognized that the culture is what's going to help to change people. We're, right. we're actually working sort of, we're working in employment, right? So it needs to be a caring, thoughtful environment. So there's no, there's no perks. It's messy work. The, the, even the work that we get people doing is like picking up garbage and right. scooping up pigeon poop. You know, it's not right, right, right. nothing glamorous about it, but the yeah. culture, he managed to build a really, um, caring and thoughtful culture. So, but again, I think these things are so important. Uh, again, just articulating that and using people as the example and just really pulling the curtain back as to what's going on in the back end and, and giving people as much context and, and understanding of the experience before going to the job as possible. So I'm going to get into the last portion of our interview here. What, what advice do you have? Would you, are you, you're going to give advice to employees or would you give advice to a company today? What, what do you have for us? From an employee side, uh, I would say, take your time, take your time finding that job, especially uh, to the younger, the younger people who are perhaps just coming out of school uh, and just looking for that first, first major job. And the, and the reason for that is because there's such a lack of experience. And I don't mean in terms of skill set, which of course is, is obvious, but in experience in terms of knowing what experience they're looking for within, within the walls of the office. Um, the, the funny thing I think is, is uh, that we spend, let's just say 52 weeks a year uh, for 20 years, you know, call it a thousand weeks now of course this is an exaggeration but essentially we spend a thousand weeks of our lives preparing for our career to get out into the proverbial real world right and then what happens after that we're finished our school schooling whether it's high school or post-secondary whatever that might be and uh we we search for a job for about four weeks maybe right and uh, so it's kind of funny that you spend so much time preparing for this really important job so that it would ultimately be fulfilled for the rest of your life and then jump into the first opportunity that presents itself. Now, if we do the research and understand what that experience is going to look like and understand who the people are, how they're aligned, what their mission of the organization is, and how we can be, find fulfillment and belonging in that experience, and it might be the first one. And if, if that individual has done a great job, then it probably will be. Um, and then on the flip side, knowing that from, from the organizational side of things, it's not so much about creating a best culture because a universal best culture doesn't exist. It's more important, I think, that we look at creating an optimized culture, meaning we understand how the people that are working for us thrive in the environment that we've created, and then really making sure we can create a great profile as to what that actually looks and feels like. If we can understand what that is and then distribute it through our channels, through effective storytelling, then we're going to be able to self-vet who these employees are that are going to be working there to really filter in who are going to be the best. Because I don't think that it's the skills that are going to be a differentiator so much as it is going to be the people and their value set that's going to be the differentiator. Now, that's not to suggest that skills aren't important. They're the foundation. They're fundamental. They are absolutely a non-starter. But, you know, I just did a quick LinkedIn search and there are 150,000 account managers in Toronto alone. And what that tells me is that there's 150,000 people, regardless of industry sector size, who are doing you know, a relatively similar job, right? 
And if we are able to articulate the values of those cultures effectively, I would actually see almost a reconfiguration of those 150,000 people so that it would be doing a very similar task, but perhaps for an organization that makes them a little bit happier. Well, you said your grades in school weren't that good, but I'll give you an A plus for this interview so far. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thanks a lot. That's certainly an upgrade from my experience in post <laughs> Right on. So we have a few final questions that we ask everyone. And the first one, just because we're the Jelly Marketing Podcast, your answer doesn't have to be jelly. But because we are the Jelly Marketing Podcast, what do you like to spread on your toast? Oh, man. Uh, A little bit of of peanut butter, natural peanut butter, crunchy for sure. Um, You know, you you told me not to say it, but yeah, we got to throw a little jelly on there. I remember getting my, my jelly sample from CIMC. Uh, last year, that didn't last very long. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, if I'm feeling really adventurous and my my sweet tooth is kicking in, um, I'll, I'll guiltily admit a little bit of Nutella as well. Great, good stuff. And uh, oh, this will be interesting coming from you because I have a feeling you, you read a lot of business books or consume a lot of business material. So if you could pick one, what's your favorite business book and why? The one one that was really transformational for me was was a book that was called Small Giants, and uh, Small Giants uh, was was really interesting because what that taught me is that it wasn't so much about creating a, a business that's huge and multiple thousand people and everything else. It was more about creating a lifestyle. Uh, and creating a community of people that we enjoyed working and spending our time with. So, so, so the book is called Small Giants. It uses uh, companies like uh, Cliff, Cliff Bars. Everyone's familiar with They turned down a massive biode opportunity to be swallowed up by, I believe it was Quaker. Uh, and they maintained a small team that's very specific in the work that they do, and they love their jobs. And I think that was really admirable uh, to be able to focus on not just dollars and cents, but experience. So, so Small Giants by Bo uh, Burlingham. And oh, sorry. You, there's one more. Yeah, please. There, there's a, there's an author. His name's Eric Termundi. He wrote a great book called Rethink Work. Definitely pick that one up. Okay, good stuff. Are you an iPhone person or an Android person? I'm an iPhone person, and I'm very much looking forward to the release of the new iPhone this fall. <laughs> What's your favorite? Do you have a favorite app? Favorite app? I would say that I'm a frequent user of. Uh, you know, like the the Globe Mail or the news apps, which is pretty boring. <laughs> I deleted Facebook and Snapchat and things off my phone. I, I try and limit the social, um, just social media in general. Oh, um, and other than that, um, you know, I, I'm I'm really working. 2017 is the year of being on my phone a lot less. So I don't have any games. I don't have any notifications. I don't even have it on Ring or Vibrate. It's uh, it's I'm trying to make sure it's a tool and it's there for convenience when the user needs it. And uh, it's resulted in a few missed calls, but uh, nothing that we can't call back right away. <laughs> so I'm curious, what what led to you doing that? Uh, you know, a, a Guardian study last year that came out said that on average we, and this wasn't age specific, check our phones 85 times a day. Uh, and I was like, yeah, come on, there's no way. And so, you know, I checked between breakfast and lunch that I checked my phone 30 times. And, you know, I, it really <laughs> it gave me a really eerie 
irked feeling um, that if, if we were to check our phones 85 times a day and on average, it's just like one to even two minutes, right? Uh, we're looking at between 85 and 170 minutes. So nearly, so an hour and a half to three hours of our day. I, I'm a guy that likes to get a good night's sleep. So let's call it eight hours. If I spend, <laughs> you know, uh, three of my very few hours staring at, at my screen, ultimately not getting a ton of value from it, just doing the scrolls, the checkups, the check-ins. Um, I, I kind of felt that I was losing sight of, of the world around me uh, and too focused on the one that was a little bit artificially developed based on uh, whatever was going on my on, on my phone. So I've changed it to more of a, from more of an entertainment device to a tool, at least when possible. And uh, I found that I've got a lot more of my day back. Thanks for sharing that. I'm wondering, and maybe you just shared it. <laughs> do you have a favorite life or business hack that you'd like to share? Some shortcut loophole or something you know, that makes your life easier? This, it's, it's, it's not really a hack. It's not really a thing. It's just, I think the, the thing that I've done most is, this is going to sound fluffy, but I'm really working hard on continually understanding myself better. And as a result of understanding myself better, I know that meditation isn't necessarily a thing for me. Uh, a specific routine that has X, Y, and Z isn't, uh, isn't as, as important. That taking the time to think distraction-free has become a very, very high priority. Um, because the world, as, as we said, with the amount of information that's surrounded, uh, surrounding us, it's busy. It's noisy. There's so much information that is great and there's so much more information that isn't and so you know there's the 10 steps to success there's the six things you need to do there's the five best habits and there's all of those things and i think that you know in in many cases the bits and po bits and pieces of it are true um but until we truly understand who we are and how we can get the most out of our days uh through experience and through self-discovery that uh, you know these things might not ring as true as the five or the six that we might come up with for ourselves um, if we were able to take the time distraction-free to find them. That's great. We, we get such great answers to that question. It always surprises me. <laughs> really, deep, really deep answers like yours. It's, it's, it's amazing me. It's really good. Yeah, great. Our last question is, do you have a cause that's near or dear to you? Oh man. Um, well, I just know like, for example, Canadian blood services is, is extremely short. And so I'm going to get blood uh, tomorrow. You know, I've, I've been involved in volunteering through, you know, things like World Economic Forum, Global Shapers and, and things like that. I'm at a stage in my career where I'm really focused on the professional development. So I have the capacity for um, the more philanthropic activities a little bit later on. Um, but you know, anything, anything water related is, is always a, a good focus. Anything I think sports and, and activity related, especially for kids, uh, is great. And, and I'd say those would be the focuses for me. And last but not least, how do people get in touch with you? What's the best way yeah, to find sure. out more about, uh, what you have to offer? Sure. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, personal website is just ericturmoney.com. Uh, you can find out what we're doing on the consulting side. If that's of any interest, um, now of work dot X, Y, Z, uh, N O W O F W O R K. Uh, and then on, on social media, I mean, feel free to connect. LinkedIn is, is my go-to social, 
uh, and then to, you know, can, can catch up on Facebook, you know, obviously I'm not as active on that, but, um, you know, what I like most about my job is that I've got the ability to talk to interact and, and meet with new people on a, on a daily basis. So, you know, if someone were to reach out, I'm not the kind of guy to read and not reply. I think there's extreme value in, in sharing knowledge we've got. I, I, I appreciate and respect, uh, respectful debate. And, um, you know, if anyone wants to share anything that they're up to, I'm always, uh, always having your open. Thanks, Eric. Great. Thanks so much for your time. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time, from an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.